I am really, really excited to be giving this breakout session uh, because it was not that long ago that I was in your exact shoes as a Penn State student hearing this exact same breakout session on how to find a church. And about a year ago, I began uh, my journey as a full-time staff with Disciple Makers on the Susquehanna Valley team. And I moved to Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, which meant that it was time for me to put that breakout session into action. Um, and that's what I did. And I recently applied to be a member at Danville First Baptist Church. Um, and they're voting on it. They voted on this past weekend. So I don't know. I'm assuming I, <laughs> I hope I got in. <laughs> uh, but now I'm here giving the very breakout session that I was given when I was a student. Um, so I'm really excited and eager to get started. So let me just pray super quick uh, before we start. Father, I pray that you would be in and through our time here uh, together and help us to um, just understand better how to choose the church that you're leading to, leading us to. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Yeah, so that is my goal for our time here together. It's to answer the question, how do I find the church that the Lord is leading me to? Um, and I'm also hoping to give you lots and lots of practicals. Um, and you can look, you can find um, the pages on 34 and 35 in your packet to take notes because we have lots to talk about. And I'm hoping the PowerPoint will be helpful um, to take notes. So let's just get started um, and look, go through our outline. So our outline for our time here together is going to be one, why church? Right? Why are we even having this breakout session? Uh, two, church non-negotiables. What are the things that absolutely should be a part of the church that you want to be part of? Uh, they all say one. <laughs> um, okay, church personalities. Uh, the, what are the different aspects of a church that are, are more about your preference, right? We have a lot of freedom in choosing the church. Um, and then lastly, just the very nitty gritty specifics of making the decision uh, of choosing the church. So let's get started by looking at why church. Um, I want to look at Ephesians 5 briefly with you all. Uh, it's a bigger passage, so I'm just going to read through it. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, or head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So 
I wanted to look at that passage because uh, I think it, we can pull a few different things out of it. So the first one is that we see marriage is a covenant. In verses 22 to 28, we see marriage is meant to be a covenant relationship between two people that's rooted in submission, self-sacrifice, and love where two become one. Next, we also see that we are all one body. In verses 29 and 30, that we see that we are all members of one body of Christ. So we're not separate as Christians and children of God, but we're all one body. And then lastly, in verses 31 and 32, we see that marriage is an image of Christ and the church. So so, so what does that mean, right? Well, I, I think it means that in the same way a man and a woman would enter a covenant relationship, we as believers have entered into a covenant relationship with God, not just as individuals, but as a whole body. So if we as the bride of Christ are not submitting as one body together in love, then it would be the same thing as neglecting a relationship with your spouse in marriage. The gospel message is not just information to gain, but a relationship to enter into. And when we enter into this relationship, we enter into it with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so we can't neglect meeting together in Christian community. This idea is rooted all throughout scripture, but it's also the same Im imagery used in Revelation 21 verses one and two, where it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we see that Jesus is coming back for his bride. When Jesus returns, he'll not be coming for one individual bride or many individual brides, but one bride to create a perfect community in heaven with all believers. So that is one of the many important reasons why we should go to church. Now that we know why we should be going to church, let's look at the aspects of a church that really should be there, the non-negotiables. The first of those being God's word. And you might be familiar with this passage, 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. Uh, we just looked at it, but I'm going to read it again. <laughs> but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Again, I want to pull a couple things from this passage. I know Caleb just did it and did a really good job, but um, we, want to, we want to be able to see that one, the word makes you wise for salvation. Uh, the word is able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. Um, next, we see that the, the word of God is, is breathed out by God. Um, so, so that's really, really significant to take away from this passage. And it's also profitable for teaching and correction. Um, so with these things in mind, we know that the word of God is not something to be taken lightly. So your church should definitely not be taking the word of God lightly either. 
they should treat it as without error, unchangeable, and extremely valuable, just like we see in this passage. Here are some questions that you might be able to ask yourself about the church that you're attending. You can ask, do they preach it? Are they more concerned with their opinions or politics than they are with what the Bible says? That would be a red flag. Do they refer to God's word? Are the scriptures referenced and talked about and quoted in conversation and during sermons? And then do they live God's word? Do you see the word lived out in the lives of people in the church and especially the leaders of the church? Next, we're going to be looking at the gospel. Uh, the passage we're going to look at is Ephesians 2, 4 to 10. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's look at some different aspects of this passage. One, we see that we're all sinners. In verse five, it tells us we are dead in our trespasses. Next, we see that we're in need of a savior. Verse eight tells us that by grace, we have been saved through faith. We couldn't have done that alone. Next, we see Christ's death and resurrection. God incarnate came and lived the perfect life in our place and took the wrath of God on our behalf, but gives us eternal hope in him beating the grave, which we see in verses six and seven. And then lastly, our response is to tell the good news to all the world and tell of his return, which we see in verse 10. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And the good works we are to do is to tell others of the good news of the gospel. So with these truths of the gospel in mind, it's important that the churches that we are looking to attend don't shy away from calling us out on our sin and recognizing their own depravity. They also shouldn't shy away from saying that we need a savior, that we need rescue, and we are helpless without a savior. It's also important that Christ is preached constantly and they should show how the message of Christ is in every single aspect of the Bible. And they should emphasize the fact that as believers we're to share this good news with others and to do good works that reveal it. So here are two practical questions that you can ask yourselves. One, is the gospel the heartbeat of the church? Similar to how a child, when they're growing up, constantly asks the question why over and over again. Whenever the church does something, keep asking the question why. And at the bottom of that questioning should be so that God might be glorified and that the gospel might be enjoyed. And second, do they preach the gospel as the, same, as the theme of the Bible from start to finish? Without this, we miss really important key aspects of the scriptures that are always pointing us back to Christ. 
this gospel non-negotiable then naturally leads us into our next non-negotiable, which is the mission. Let's look at Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Here we see uh, the key takeaway from this passage is that as Christians, we are to go. We are to go make disciples of all nations. And how this plays out from church to church might look a little bit different, but it should be there. Some churches have a really strong outward focus towards the nations or towards impoverished people in the city. A church near our area, uh, there's a church that specifically ministers to recovering drug addicts. Um, This is an example of, of fulfilling the Great Commission. Here are some questions you can ask yourselves. Are they fulfilling the mandate of Jesus? Are they making disciples that make disciples? Are they planting churches that plant churches? Or do they have an impact on people's lives in the community? If that that church left, would people notice in that community? There's a difference between being missions-minded in principle and being missions-minded in practice. I love the Tim Keller quote at the top of your packet, which says, the church does not simply have a missions department. It should wholly exist to be a mission. So these non-negotiables are extremely important. But I think if we stopped here, this talk would feel incomplete. When I began my journey to find a church, there were quite literally three or four different churches in the area that met these non-negotiables. And I had no way to know which of these churches was was the best fit for me uh, in in just stopping at these questions. Uh, Would I just go to the one that feels right or the one that feels close or the one that's closest to me or the one that had the best coffee? (laughs) That is where church personalities come in. We actually have a lot of freedom in Christ to choose the church that best fits our desires and personalities. So we're going to take a look at some of those personalities and talk about how to think through them. The first one, is it, is it a church where you can learn well? Just because the church is one where they preach and focus on the Bible, it doesn't mean that they will help you learn well or motivate you to learn. God, in his uniqueness, created people with all different kinds of personalities. Some people learn better with more visuals and imagery Some people learn better with a deep dive into theology. Some people prefer verse by verse exposition of the word, and some people like more topical exposition. Also consider that when you answer this question, you're not committing just to the pastor of the church, but the church itself. So the teaching of the pastor may not be the the clearest indication of the teaching of the whole church. a maybe familiar verse to you all and a name Eutychus might sound familiar. It says in Acts 29, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from a third story and was picked up dead. This is not the point of this passage, (laughs) but um, it's even Paul put some people to sleep with his teaching. Um, 
but <laughs> anyways, the second personality. <laughs> some people, some people don't learn well from certain people's teachings. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> is it a church where you can worship well? Is the next question. Simply put, do you like the church and how it functions? Do you like the culture of the service? Again, we all have different personalities, and so do churches. So ask yourself, does it add distractions from you worshiping God? If so, then it's probably not the right place for you. Again, not the, the point of this verse, but we see as the, in 2 Samuel 6.16, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Here we see an example of Michael, the daughter of Saul, David's wife, being distracted and starting to despise David due to how he was worshiping the Lord. Is it a church where you can connect well? The church you're looking for should have the demographic of people you would best connect with. Maybe that's a lot of people your age, or maybe that's a wide range of older and younger people. Maybe it's a church with lots of people that look like you, or a church with lots of people that don't look like you. Either way, you should be considering if or how the church is embodying the gospel community. But know that this community in church will probably not be like your DCF community. College is unlike any stage of life that you will be in. However, there should still be some aspects of that community. In 1 Thessalonians 2.8, we see, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So Paul, in this, in this verse, is saying, we're not just going to share with you uh, the gospel, but we're also going to share with you our very lives. That's the kind of indication of a community that a church should be striving for. Lastly, we're going to look at, is it a church where you can serve well? Church is not always about you and what you can get out of it. It's also about how you can serve. So when you look for a church, think about the ways that you can be serving well there. Find a church where you would get excited about going and being a part of it and using the gifts God has given you to bless others. In Mark 9, 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now that we know the non-negotiables and some church personality questions we can think through, let's move on to actually making the decision of choosing a church. But before we do that, I have a quick warning. Uh, some church personalities can become their non-negotiables. What do I mean by that? Well, I think it's important to do a general heart check on the decisions the church is making. For example, with teaching, uh, teaching could actually become a red flag if your church says the only real biblical way to teach God's word is a verse by verse and never topical. Or perhaps in regard to worship, does the pastor say that you might not really be saved if you're not dancing and jump, jumping out of your seat during worship? Or does the church guilt you into participation rather than encourage you by God's grace? Things like that can actually become hidden red flags behind church personalities. So keep an eye out for things like that. 
All right, let's finish by looking at the process of actually choosing the church. We're going to look at pray, seek, commit, and pray. The first thing you should do uh, before you start looking uh, is, sorry, pray. Pray before you look and pray as you start to look. If you really want to find the church that the Lord is leading you to, you need to invite the Lord into the process. Secondly, you need to seek faith or seek in faith for the church that the Lord is leading you to. A really helpful tip is that you should be seeking before you move somewhere. Don't wait until you've already, don't wait until after you have already moved to find a church. It could also even influence the job you take or where you end up living. You are not, you're not in this process alone. Ask others for help and direction in your decision-making. There's also a number of websites that exist to help you search for churches denominationally. Um, and there's actually some listed in your packet. There's some links there that you can check out later. And then try out some churches and spend a few months there, maybe one or two months. Uh, you don't have to feel rushed to make a decision. And then once you've sufficiently taken time to search, Take a bigger step of faith in trusting the Lord and commit. Then start to introduce yourself to people there. Learn about the church's mission and vision and talk, about leader, and talk to the leaders there. Talk to the members of the congregation. Seek the serving opportunities you could have there. Attend different church events and classes and even start to pursue membership. And just because you start to make more steps of commitment, it doesn't mean that you can't still change your mind if something comes up. We want to take our time, but we also want to stay committed and remember that we're never going to find a perfect church. Lastly, we'll end where we began uh, in prayer. Pray for your final decision when it comes. Pray for all the churches in your area and pray and trust that the Lord will lead you in the right direction, no matter what decision you make. And while we didn't cover everything um, that we possibly could have during this time, uh, I, I pray that those would be some helpful, practical building blocks and questions you can ask yourselves in finding the church the Lord is leading you to. I know that it really helped me this past year. And let me just end by saying that we will never find the perfect church. And some of you probably, most of you probably will not have as easy of a time when finding where God is leading you. Pray and act in faith before the Lord and our good and loving Heavenly Father will guide you along the way. Let me just pray. Lord, um, I thank you so much for uh, your word and how you instruct us to um, seek a church community, Lord, that you have not left us alone in this walk of faith, but you uh, faithfully tell us to go and be a part of, of a church where there are other believers. Lord, I thank you so much um, for your word. I pray that everyone here who's seeking to find a church, that you would help them in their pursuit. Um, I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.